Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo, and I'm joined by Patrick Daly. And today's topic is going to be about translation memory pollution. Yes, we are going to get into the weeds. This is uh, getting a little bit into the weeds on um, really translation and translation memory and how to reduce costs. So it'll be an interesting topic. Um, but I thought we'd get it started with some interesting news, and that is that Argo is releasing a study on translation and um, international business professionals, and it's quite an effort. It was a monumental effort. Uh, our team surveyed over a thousand international business professionals uh, to understand where they succeed, where they fail relative to the translation effort, interpretation, and just cross-language communication in general. And the results will provide a glimpse into how businesses can help support um, internal communications to staff or external communications to business partners and clients. And this is especially important as the professional world shifts in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So please look for those results. I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, I've had a chance to take a look at the infographic that's being built, and it's, it's really something, some really important information there. So why don't we get rolling with translation memory pollution? Patrick, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. First, I think it's important. I know we've talked about this before, just to give a brief overview of what translation memory is. Uh, so basically, when we receive any files for translation, we import that into a translation management system, and that gives us a sentence-by-sentence -sentence breakdown of the document that we're looking at. We pull away, depending on the document, we try and pull away everything that's not text for translation. So when we get into more complex file types um, that have coding in them, we remove all of those, we parse them out, and we get just to the text that needs translation, uh, which I'm sure we're going to touch on a little bit later. Um, so translation memory is a sentence-by-sentence -sentence breakdown of all the text um, in that document and the, uh, the corresponding translation. So you'll have a one-to-one -one comparison basically there. Um, so that's super important when we go through updates on projects to realize that you know something as simple as maybe highlighting a word or bolding a word is going to change that translation memory hit. It, the, it's read at a character-by-character -character level, and if you change anything between characters such as bold formatting, highlighting formatting, that's going to change your translation memory hit and take it from a hundred percent match down to a fuzzy match, most likely. So really it, you might think that you're not changing anything in a document, but if you do anything, however minor it might be, that's going to qualify as a change. So when we import into our translation uh, management system, we read it at a character by character level. So I think that's super important to understand how it works and what, you know, what changes mean when you change a document. That's great. No, it's a good place to start the discussion. And, you know, I would add that it is the single most valuable asset you have relative to uh, controlling your translation costs. I mean, it's really the biggest lever you could have. Besides Especially... a project manager, come on. <laughs> Sorry, what? Besides a project manager, come on. Oh, right. I misheard you. Yes, of course, <laughs> that's very important. And quite frankly, the translation memory doesn't work unless you have a good project manager that's... Um, taking care of that asset. I mean, it is um, really an incredible asset in terms of how you're going to save money and time on updates, especially if you're a client or a customer that does a lot of updates. You, you, you iterate software or you iterate help files or you iterate 
training uh, materials. Because remember, everything that you've previously translated is going to be locked in place and it will save you money and save you time going forward. And of course, that valuable, very valuable project manager <laughs> will help you with that. Um, but then what is this idea of pollution? So, mm -hmm. so that's... Yeah, what where do you think you... of that? Where do, where, do you, where do you land on that? That's basically where translation memory can go wrong. Um, and we like to avoid that as much as possible. Um, so the reason that can happen, um, I mentioned segmentation a little bit earlier, you know, where we make that cutoff on a sentence by sentence basis. Um, there's certain formatting things that can, that can cause poor segmentation, uh, which would split sentences in the middle of a sentence. Uh, and especially I'm just thinking off the top of my head, typically in Spanish, um, you know, the word order is basically the opposite of what it is in English. Um, so it doesn't go subject verb. It usually goes verb and then subject, um, or in any other languages, you know, word order flips in languages all the time. So having half a sentence in one segment and half a sentence in the other could be a recipe for disaster. So we really want to make sure as a project manager, my first step is to look at the files and prepare them in such a way that the segmentation is going to be successful um, when we do go into the translation memory. Um, so that's and, one. And if I can interject, mm -hmm. it's important that the translator, if they see this, you know, we would hope that the project manager catches this before a project goes out into production. But it's equally important that if a translator working on a project sees a situation like this, rather than thinking they're crafty and inverting the translation themselves, creating that mismatch. In other words, you know, if you have segments and you think of it as one and two in English, then the translator is being crafty and they go two and one, you're essentially creating a mismatch so that you have no confidence in that translation memory. So mm -hmm. very important. Yeah. And then um, other reason, other places that that can come into play as well is um, in inherited translation memory. So let's say we're working with a customer who doesn't like their current provider. They come to us and they say, hey, we've got this translation memory. And then we send that out to our translators on the first project and we look at the memory and go, hmm, that's not very good. Um, so that can be kind of a, a double-edged sword if you are inheriting translation memory of you know, one of our first questions when we when we run into clients who do have translation memory is, one, where did you get this from? Two, are you confident in it? Um, because sometimes they'll say, oh, our last translation provider was lousy. So we'll be like, okay, then we're basically not going to use this memory because it's going to do more harm than good. Absolutely. And what we've seen recently as well is that, you know, with the advent of workflows where machine translation is part of it, where it's machine translation and post-editing, or maybe a client uses machine translation for a specific type of project that fits that use case, that they don't think about segregating those assets. And we've seen people flow machine translation output into their translation memory, and that's terrible. You're basically devaluing that wonderful asset. Because remember, again, the translation memory only works when you have 100% confidence in it or as close to 100% confidence in it. So, um, yeah, that's that's really a bad call. Yeah, I think um, something that we do, and I mean, it makes sense on, on an industry level as well, is we, we segment um, or we silo translation memories by customer. But we can even go further down than that if a customer has different divisions that they want their own translation memory. We can still utilize the large company memory, but we can kind of silo it off into as many kind of buckets as we want. And I think if, if clients are using MT and they're okay with those results, we can either build an MT memory for them or quite honestly, just not database that into any memory. It's machine translation. It would produce the same, in theory, the same output if we just ran that same text again. So 
you know, if you are doing machine translation, unless you have that editor on there, you may not even need to keep your translation memory. Exactly. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that and how we prevent these situations um, uh, a little bit later uh, on the show. But I think before we go there, we should really talk about why does this matter? You know, a, a client might say, gosh, this sounds like a bit of work, or I don't know that my project manager is able to deal with this sort of thing. So, you know, why does this matter, Patrick? Why should a customer care about this? Yeah, um, I mean, it's going to save them money and time over the long run. Um, when we provide quotes, we also provide the breakdown of the translation memory analysis that we have on that document. Uh, so we very transparently show the customer, here's how many matches you have, and here's the corresponding discount you get for having those matches. But if we run into a situation where we're constantly hearing from our translators that certain matches aren't um, aren't living up to what they're they're showing as a match, let's say a hundred percent match, they go, oh, this needs to be corrected every time. Well, then we're maybe going to take a little bit closer look at those hundred percent matches, and they might not essentially qualify for that discount if we're going to have to to work on them every time. Um, so I think that's you know first and foremost, time and money um, is going to be saved if you do have confidence in those matches. That's great. And I also think, you know, if we're talking about MT, it also decreases your ability to use that MT effectively in the future, because a really important part of machine translation is training an engine. So all too often people think, ah, you know, you just go to Google Translate and you stick a document in there. And that's not really a proper um, machine translation strategy. Proper strategy would be to pick an engine, whether it's Microsoft Azure, that's what we typically recommend, or others, there's DeepL, there's all sorts of them. Uh, but you take translation memory, so that's work that you've already vetted by humans, and you train the MT. You can import that, that translation memory and make the output for MT that much better. Um, you know, that's relatively new, you know, thinking of MT as like a 50-year arc. Uh, that's, you know, relatively new uh, in MT technology where you can take that human component of translation memory and easily train it to create better output. So if you have crappy TM, it's not going to happen. You're, not gonna, mm -hmm. you're just, again, taking polluted material and it's probably even worse when you're telling Making it worse. AI. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cause now you're, now you're teaching AI to be dumb. So that's probably not a good right. Idea. I think that is an important step too, that you mentioned. Um, if you are considering MT, I consider, you know, sticking with human translation for at least a little while so you can build some memory. And like you said, you can train that engine because the first thing we would do if we have a customer who does request MT is we would run it against their translation memory first to see if there's any hits. And then, like you said, that kind of trains the engine to make those hits in other areas come up as, you know, more intelligent because it's using text that's already been approved. Absolutely. It's that hybrid approach that we talk about. We've talked about on uh, other MT, uh, shows or podcasts that we've done, that it's it, that hybrid approach is really important. You do all your high value projects, projects that are very, very meaningful um, with human translation. And the things that are left to MT are things that are not as high value. And, um, you know, there's other options as well in, in, in implementing human translation at lower cost, but uh, that's a, a whole nother show. Um, I also like to think of translation memory as money in the bank. Um, you know, I really, we really should get our clients to think about translation memory that every time they do a project that they're putting money in the bank for future use. It helps that rainy day fund. So in other words, when you do projects or updates in the future, you have that money in the bank. So most of us wouldn't um, 
wouldn't put garbage in the bank, right? If you had a lockbox, you wouldn't just throw your refuse in there. So it's the same kind of thing. Uh, I, so I think once you get people into that mindset, uh, it's it's more helpful. Um, and we talked a little bit about cost, but time is important as well. You know, I, I think we should think of that as well. That you know, the the part of the the great thing of having translation memory is reducing uh, the time required to do an update. If you're doing a, just a small update, um, it, it shouldn't take very long at all. But again, that's contingent on having a really good translation memory. So um, the other point is TM search. I know that that's something that we do. Uh, I think others may do as well. But you know, we we provide the ability to query that translation memory for our clients. And again, if you know, you're doing a query, you say, oh gosh, you know, I, I know we've done this sentence or the specific tech spec, but the specific tech spec before technical specification, um, I'm going to go query the memory. Well, more than likely you as a technical writer or a project manager who's querying that TM doesn't speak the 10 languages that are referenced. So if you don't have confidence in the TM, you really can't do that. You really can't go and use the, the, that material with any uh, level of confidence. Yeah, I think that definitely um, basically is translation memory invalidating itself. If you don't have confidence in it, you're, it's going to be useless to you. And, and I think that it's, you know, not only if you think of the costs, I, I always think of loss of revenue as well, because as a translation service provider, you know, I, I always say we're doing one of two things. We're either helping you create more revenue or we're helping you to create better connection with internal constituents, whether that's employees or suppliers. So you're either communicating internally and creating engagement or you're creating revenue. And um, if you put out garbage, you know, what does that do for your branding, right? In other words, you you put in all this energy into your English, it's really good. And then all of a sudden you spew materials uh, that come out of your translation memory that are terrible um, into the public and it, it reflects poorly on you. Uh, so I think of the loss of revenue is also very important. Um, Patrick, how about in terms of confidence? You know, some of the things that we work on as well is we do a lot of work with software. So if we're introducing uh, poor material into um, people's software releases, you know, what are some of the things that might happen uh, in terms of the consequences of errors in translation? Mm-hmm. Um, that does tend to happen from time to time. Even if you do have good translation memory, that's just going to happen with software projects. Um, most of the time, um, a customer will run their own QA process, uh, and they might find they have certain character limits that they uh, that weren't communicated. So you know, text needs to fit within a certain physical distance on the screen. Um, so that's, that's things we see um, in bug reporting uh, when we do work with QA teams. And that kind of opens the lid of doing rework, then we need to go back to our team, say, how can we fit this in this small area? Um, but we can also reference translation memory and say, hey, you know, in, in spot number one on your software, this may not fit, but spot number two, you know, it's a translation memory hit. So how do we make those consistent across those two areas? Um, and then honestly, it, quite, um, it takes more support time from the project manager. We're going to verify all those things um, that come out of the QA and make sure that they're correct. Um, but this did bring it up Another point, um, kind of with confidence and relating to your end users, um, I think translation memory is super important. Um, Something we deal with a lot is with client review, where we'll have um, a customer who speaks the language that we've translated into review the content. Um, And they might not even be thinking like, oh, what 
what part of this came out of translation memory versus what was newly translated. So sometimes during client review, we'll have to go back to the customer and say, hey, you know, this is a translation memory hit. Are you sure you want to change it? Because it's already been published this way. Do you like we had kind of pushed back a little bit and ask, like, you know, how vital is this change? And if they want to make it, that's certainly fine. But then we just advise them that they may have introduced an inconsistency with other already published material. That's actually a really good point. Translation memory can serve, uh, you know, I always said sort of as as revision control, right? Because most good translation memory tools will keep track of changes and you can see um, who created those changes in a given segment. And that's, you know, that's really important. That's a great point um, in bringing it back to client review as well. Um, and just revisiting for a moment, the idea of support time and rework, um, I always think of the extrapolation, right? So Patrick, it might be you as the project manager and then the customer, but then is there engineering staff involved? If there's bugs, did someone have to take that bug report, whether it's one of the customer's support people? So, you know, take that time and extrapolate it. What is the value of that? And that's really important. And then in that environment as well, if you're publishing, say, in 10 languages, now you have to take every issue and multiply it by 10 because invariably if it's an English and say the Italian or if it's a problem in the Italian build, it might be a problem in the French, the German, the Japanese, the Chinese, because especially if it's a, um, you know, a misunderstanding or a mispropagation of translation memory. So that's really important. So we've described why this should be important and what are the things to think about. But I think uh, we would do a disservice to our listeners if we didn't talk about how to prevent these things. So Patrick, what are some ideas in terms of how we prevent TM pollution? Mm -hmm. I think uh, first and foremost, I kind of brushed on this a little bit earlier, is how we silo uh, translation memories. Uh, we do that on every project, and then we commit it to a master TM for each customer. Uh, so I think kind of keeping everything segregated into the buckets that it needs to be segregated into is going to be super important. We won't get kind of cross-client contamination ever. Um, and quite honestly, another reason that we don't kind of dump it all into one gigantic translation memory is there's a lot of confidentiality that's involved. Um, and I think that would be, you know, pretty irresponsible to have confidential things available in the translation memory from one client to the other. I think that what we do is smart because it kind of keeps everything siloed. It keeps us protected. It keeps the customer protected. Um, so I think doing that is going to be the first step. Uh, we also talked about this as well. Um, you know, don't, Dump empty, don't blindly dump MT into translation memory. I'd say it, maybe you could do it if you're having a person edit it, but even still, that's kind of, we've talked about it before, that's good enough translation. It's not great translation. So, I mean, that's going to be the risk you take is are you okay with good enough or do you want only great in that translation memory? Absolutely. I think that's really important as well. And that pro the idea of those project memories is what's nice about that is when we're working in a given project, that memory only lives in that very tiny silo. And until it's committed and approved, then it goes into the master TM. So that's a really important approach. And you did bring up you know, the, the legal ideas and the violation of confidentiality. There are a lot of translation service providers that simply dump everything into a big master for the idea that, oh, well, this helps my client. You know, we're going to get more matches this way. But I think it's ridiculous from a legal viewpoint, confidentiality, but also we have clients that are in the same industry and their people will use different terms. Um, so there is, you know, obviously this idea of, 
you know, uh, different terminology across companies, even though they're in the same industry. So that would be, be irresponsible on a bunch of different levels. But I also think it's important to think about your translators and who you're choosing. It's no different than if you were building a house and the house looks phenomenal and all that's left is the roof. And you hired someone who is incompetent to build that roof. All the work that you've done previous to that is nullified or can be nullified. And I think translation memory is a very similar, um, a very similar type of idea in the sense that you're only as good as your last translation project. So you have to be very careful as you continue to add material. And if you choose poorly, um, you should always have an ability, number one, to roll that content back out which the project approach will allow you to do. If you determine that, oh, Translator X was sick that day for that project, so we had to go and use this other one. And then they did a bad job. By, by segregating project by project memory and then into the master, they're tagged with that project memory tag um, you know, at the project level. So you can roll it back out if it's poor. So that's, you know, that's really, really important. Um, we got in the weeds a little bit today, Patrick. This is... Uh, Definitely, I w- let's call it Translation 501. It was that <laughs> class you took your senior year. Um, and of course, we could have gone even a little bit deeper. But tell me a little bit, Patrick, what is the number one thing that sticks out to you uh, in what we covered today? I think um, it's something we didn't talk about, um, but I wanted to tack on to the last point. So I'll just add it here. Um, I think that it's important for clients to be available for questions uh, that come up during the translation. Um, a lot of times there's context that is lacking. Um, for example, I'm thinking of software projects. You might just see kind of a button or an option by itself and you won't know what's surrounding it, what else is on that page. So I think um, providing context and being available from questions from your translation service provider is going to be key because quite honestly, at certain times there's five different translations you could use for the same word. And if we are just doing our best guess, that's exactly what you're going to get. But if you're able to confirm that context for us, then you can build that confidence. Um, We're not just asking questions to bug or annoy you. We're asking it so we make sure that you get the correct translation. So I think, you know, being available, providing context is going to just help build your translation memory to that 100% confidence level that you're going to want. That's a great point. You know, again, it goes right uh, right along with the idea that, you know, you're building this this very important database with high value. And again, um, having the best clarification and making sure that items aren't vague. Again, the project manager is really doing that and client uh, uh, um, a service or a favor by asking those questions. Right. It's, I mean, I, you can bring up the house analogy again. It's, um, I think of it as, you know, if you tell someone to paint a room blue, what does that mean? There's all different sorts of shades of blue and you probably have something in mind that you want. Maybe you want sky blue or navy, but if you don't say that, they're, the contractor is going to pick and they're going to say, well, I like this blue. And then you're going to be out of sync there. So I think that's a good analogy to kind of think of why we're asking these questions. Definitely. For me, the biggest takeaway is, and it's not so much in the weeds, but more uh, big picture, is that, again, the value of this translation memory. I think all too often um, we'll see clients that don't treat that resource with the right level of respect. I mean, remember that number one, it's your property. It's something that should travel with you regardless of who your translation service provider is. And it needs the care uh, that you would give to a server in your office or, you know, any very important piece of technology. And that's really the way it should be viewed. 
Um, yeah, I have a good example of that. So, I mean, we have a customer who does um, quarterly updates on a project, um, and it's in, I think, nine or 10 languages, and it is massive amounts of words. It is gigantic. It's multiple hundred thousands of words. Um, and if we didn't have translation memory, they'd be paying over $150,000 every time they translated this. But with, with the translation memory we have in place and they're very confident in it, we drive that cost to, you know, a couple thousand dollars only. So that can save you literally long run hundreds of thousands of dollars by using that tool. That's a great point, Patrick, and a good one to close on. It's always good to close with saving people hundreds of thousands of dollars. So <laughs> good work. Uh, so for this episode of Translation Confidential, thank you for joining me and Patrick Daly. And until next time, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.